At long last, we have arrived at the end. Uh, for a few months now, we've been teaching through the New Testament book of Hebrews, and today we look at its final chapter, chapter 13. And I don't know about you, but I have often put a lot of weight into endings. I invest a lot of expectation, a lot of anticipation into how something wraps up and concludes. Maybe it's a, a TV show that has meant a lot to you over maybe multiple years, multiple seasons, or a movie trilogy or a book series, something like that. You would just want the ending to be satisfying and right. And everything is up in the air until those final words in those final scenes, and you're just hoping that the creators stick the landing. Well, we have, we have good news. Uh, this is a great ending. And I hope we can see today that the book of Hebrews is, is very rich. The very end is very rich. And it's an ending that is so good that churches uh, have had the regular practice of using some of these verses as concluding words for Sunday services uh, or meaningful events because of something called a benediction at the end of this chapter. It's, it's an expression of blessing, guidance, good wishes, and in the ancient world, benedictions were important to an address. And in the Jewish context specifically, the context we believe Hebrews is written to, a benediction was an aspect of worship. So let me read for you the benediction of Hebrews, these powerful phrases from Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21, which say this, now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the blessing and the prayer and the sentiment that I want us to be propelled out of this time with wherever you are, whoever you are, to take this as a, as a catalyst for your, for your life. Uh, and I want to analyze and unpack this benediction in a few ways today, mostly by connecting what it communicates to, to other things the author of Hebrews has already said, both in this chapter itself and in the chapters that preceded. The, the Bible, as you may have noticed, has a way of saying a lot with just a little. And for me, I always want to get the most out of a passage to, to appreciate the depth of, of all of the content that it's connected to that makes it understandable, important, impactful, and often quite beautiful. So one of the first things I want to unpack uh, is what falls under the category of these phrases in the benediction. Uh, just a few, few things I'll pull out and, and talk about first. It's these, it's these two phrases, his will, and this other phrase, that which is pleasing in his sight. So I think it's pretty cool that God has not kept his will or the things that please him a secret. Like it's, it's pretty cool, hey? Like the, the supreme being in the universe who wants a relationship with us has actually revealed to us the things he desires and the things that bring him joy. And it's just, it's just sometimes it's easy to miss those things. Partly, I think, because there's something in us that does not want to hear uh, because these things are often packaged as commands in the Bible. And why, why do we resist this? And I think there's probably a variety of reasons, but one I'm noticing when I, when I resist commands is something I'll just call context ignorance. 
Like one of the difficult things about, about reading the Bible or teaching the Bible is that we're constantly fighting that context ignorance. We, we sometimes read these things without a grasp of the historical situation uh, and the original audience. We, we hear these things piece by piece, maybe once a week, and we don't, we don't have the immediate context of what was written in the forefront of our minds. So we read a command in scripture and we, we run the risk of sounding a little bit crazy or, or maybe even tone deaf in our world today because we ourselves, and for sure our neighbors who don't yet follow Jesus, they may not have a working knowledge of, of the larger story. So it makes sense then that some of what we run into in chapter 13 at the end of Hebrews falls under the category of God's will or that which is pleasing in his sight. And some of these things might not be very um, tweetable, if you know what I mean. For example, how about chapter 13, verse 13? Therefore, let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Like, I bet you really want to get that verse as your next tattoo, don't you? Like, that just sounds like something you just want to have with you all the time, right? How, how about another example? Uh, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. How many of us made that uh, our goal back in January of 2022? Like, oh man, I just feel like my verse for the year... It's got to be Hebrews 13, 17. Like, God has me in a place where I just really want to obey. I really want to submit. And, and I, I'm not even convinced, to, to be honest, that we even want the label or the office of leader a lot of times, especially when it comes to, to faith. So at best, it's like, oh, man, church leaders, they're just a resource to consult, not necessarily people to follow, let alone submit to. Uh, how about one more example, just from, from chapter 13, uh, 13 verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Um, I, I dare you to text that one to one of your friends who doesn't follow Jesus yet. I'll, I'll tell you what, it would be a lot easier for me actually to have not even read that one. Because here's, here's my temptation as a, as a communicator, to talk only about what's comfortable. Uh, I'm, I'm tempted to do this because not only is it easier, uh, it'll make me more likable to certain people that I, I really want to be pleased with me. The difficulty here, though, is that we, we run up against a tension. Maybe it's with this command, maybe it's with other commands in the Bible, or just in chapter 13 itself, which I hope you have in front of you. This tension is this. As, as a follower of Jesus, I'm working to trust him and to obey him. And he says things in other places like this, like Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first, uh, this is the great and first commandment. And if we know the larger story of history with God and his people as recorded in the Bible, it makes sense that Jesus would say this because going all the way back hundreds and hundreds of years before he came, God says in Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So, so bringing this, this foundational driving force of, of the Christian life into Hebrews 13 and to some of these commands that we read here requires us to make some choices, one of which is to embrace this whole text. And, and here's why. Here's why I can't just take some of what's here and, and, and not all of what's here. Because to love God is to love him with all of our capacity. 
There, there is nothing that the lordship of Jesus does not touch in my life and in your life. And we're not going to go at length thoroughly into all of what Hebrews 13 is saying and commanding, but there, there, there's a lot that's on the table here, isn't there? Like this chapter, like Hebrews lists just, just a few things. If you have it in front of you, you'll notice some of these. For example, my, my relationships with other Christians, they are on the table. How I talk about them, how I, how I joke about them, how I act towards them, how I include them, how I care for them. It's all on the table. My choices about how I use my home. You see the word hospitality. My, my choices about how I use my time. It's on the table. My, my beliefs about marriage what I approve of, what I honor, that is on the table. My, my, my sexual desires, my sexual activity, my counsel to others about their sexuality, my view of sexual humor, it's on the table. My feelings about money, as we see here, my thoughts about possessions, the way I use my bank account and, and arrange my life around finances, that is on the table. And my opinion of, of, of church leadership, my thoughts about, about pastors and elders and my relationships with them, the text message threads I have that maybe even discuss them, those are on the table too. And as you read Hebrews 13, you see these things and more. And so I would summarize when I see this, as I look at my life and maybe as you look at yours, there's maybe two threats to our relationship with Jesus when we think about the commands of Scripture and the commands even of Hebrews 13. Two threats. One, I'm in danger of not trusting God. And number two, I'm in danger of not obeying God. So do you want to know what helps uh, reorganize my perspective and, and motivate my actions in these areas when they're maybe disordered? It's a right view of God and his activity. So take some of, take some of these, these commands that we, we could see here in, in Hebrews 13 and, and ask yourself some questions about them. Like, is, is there a person that you don't really want to show love towards right now? Is there something you know is dishonoring to your marriage? Is there some way you are compromising your values in the pursuit of money or because of money? Is there something you know God has asked you to do, but at your core you're like, ah, that's just that's not something I want to do today. I'm too frustrated. I'm too tired. I'm too afraid. I'm too anxious. I'm too alone. Of course there is. Of course there is. So, so here, here's a big statement I want us to think about. Something to keep in mind that actually might help in the area where you're just like, I'm not even trying anymore. Just, just think about this phrase. If you don't want to do something the Bible says, try looking at who's actually asking you. Okay, I, 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 let me just push back on what I, what I just said. Like, it's kind of like, well, is that it? Is that supposed to be the, the big secret? And I'm sure if some of us were bold enough to admit it, that sounds kind of underwhelming. Because all of those things that you might have answered those questions with earlier or the way you look at these commands, you go, okay, so the, the solution to, to kind of override my resistance is to look at who's actually asking me. That's, that's it. That feels maybe underwhelming. Would you, would you admit that to yourself or to others? Okay, I, I will. I'll do it. I'll, I'll admit it. To be honest, I wrote that down the other day, and I, and I wanted to delete it. I didn't want to include it. I wanted to remove it from this message and try to come up with some other uh, hot take to, to try to figure out what might inspire us. Because it felt, to me, underwhelming. 
until I started thinking about the benediction here, verses, verses 20 and verse 21, and all the realities that, that this expression of blessing uniquely weaves together, I started to find myself personally convinced that, that if I can keep in mind all of what is just compressed in here, in these statements, it's overwhelmingly powerful. So let's unpack a bit of what is under a few other phrases in this. We've talked about his will. We've talked about that which is pleasing in his sight. Let's highlight one more here. Verse 20, now may the God of peace, the God of peace. This, look, this is who we're called to trust and to obey. So, so let's, let's kind of get underneath what's, what's under this phrase, the God of peace. Already, just those three words are saying a lot. He's a God who has a desire to see complete goodness and harmony happen to his creation, in his creation. Let's, let's push against, though, our maybe our context ignorance a little bit and, and expand this benediction by incorporating other details about what we've been given about this God of peace. Just adding detail from this chapter alone, chapter 13, we could expand the benediction to include what was said in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 13. For example, now may the God of peace expand it, who has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and who is our helper. Now may that God who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We're called to trust and obey this God, the God of peace who will never leave us, never forsake us, the one who is our helper, who equips us, all of what is compressed in here. But let's add a bit more. Let's expand it out to, 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 the, to this benediction and include what was said across maybe even just the rest of the book of Hebrews. For example, what we could then say is, now may the God of peace, the one for whom and by whom all things exist, from chapter 2, verse 10, the one whose word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, which just pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, from 4, verse 12. Now may the God of peace, the one who no one and nothing can hide from and to whom we must give account, if we include verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 13. Now may the God of peace, the judge of all, who we're told is a consuming fire if we bring in stuff from chapter 12, who has also said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and who is our helper. May this God, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We're called to trust and obey this God. So when we're commanded to do things like show hospitality or be free from the love of money or to submit to leaders, it's because this God says these things are his will and are pleasing to him. When we hear this benediction, we need to keep in mind all that, that, has, that is compressed into it, all that's underneath it. And we could go a step further. We could expand all of these phrases in here. We've expanded a bit on the God of peace. What if we also expanded on these words, our Lord Jesus? Just adding detail from this chapter alone, here's what we could do to expand the benediction. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, who, as verse 8 would have just said, 
is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That Lord Jesus. When we're commanded to do things like honor marriage in this passage or not be led astray by strange and diverse teachings, it's because this Jesus is the one we follow. But let's, let's, add, let's add a bit more. P perhaps we could expand the benediction with these phrases, our Lord Jesus, to include what was said across the rest of the book of Hebrews. Okay, okay but like, we don't really have, have time for that because it's a lot. But maybe just look at it. We can't even really fit it all on the screen, but at nearly every turn in this book, there is some sort of profound description of our Lord Jesus. So what we could do is say, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, who, by the way, in chapter one was referred to as the heir of all things through whom God created the world. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, who, by the way, is the radiance of the glory of God, the one upholding the universe by his word. The one who made purification for sins, the one sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high, the one who's much superior to angels, the one who's crowned with glory and honor, the one who tasted death for everyone, the merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Keep going through all of the chapters and we're adding all of this stuff. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Who else? Other descriptions. The one who suffered when he was tempted and is able to help those who are tempted the one who's a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. The one who entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Keep expanding it out, going through all the chapters of Hebrews, and we see how, how much is really packed into this statement. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, who also is the one who had suffered for all time, a single sacrifice for sins, the one who sat down at the right hand of God, the one who's waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet, the one who is perfected for all time, those who are being sanctified, the one who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who also is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That who is the great shepherd of the sheep. And then, yeah, there's a lot I missed too, isn't there? I wonder what happens when we embrace this Jesus. All these things Hebrews talks about, he was yesterday. And he is right now. Then he will be tomorrow and forever. So when we see commands to love or show hospitality or honor marriage or be free from the love of money or not be led astray or, or to not neglect to do good and share what we have or to submit to leaders, it cannot be because this Jesus wants us to strive to earn something. It cannot be because he's got some twisted motive to harm us by asking us of this. And maybe that's a shift you need to make. To realize that the commandments of God cannot be because God wants something bad for us. If you're struggling to, to do what the Bible says, look at who is actually asking you. I wonder what happens when we embrace this God, this Jesus. Like, I, I mean all of us. Here's, here's, a, here's a little interesting, fun fact I found out. I got Vicky, one of our administrative assistants here at the church, to, to crunch some numbers for me this week. Let me give you one of those numbers. 736. 736. That number is my estimate 
of the average number of people who have been tracking with this Hebrews teaching series the past three months. Online, in person in our Nickel Hall service, in person in our worship center. 736. I wonder what happens outside of the church facility or outside of the space where you're listening to this when 736 people are actually entrusting our lives to this God. Not just in one area, but in every area. Not com compartmentalizing their faith, having, having this, this is, this is my thing that I do for Jesus, but these other things aren't. Not just giving God some areas, but by putting all of life on the table. I, I would have to imagine that that would make some sort of impact. That some sort of change would take place in the world around you, in the world around us. And I think that it can. However, it's also a certainty that we're all wrestling to trust God or obey God in some area of life. And we might look at this benediction and feel a bit defeated deep down because we've, we've been in a fight for faithfulness, perhaps. There's some sort of situation that's been taking a turn for the worse in your life. There's some sort of biblical command that you know is there, but you know you're not acting on and you don't really want to. There's a habit in your life that you've tried and tried and tried to be rid of, but it's still there. If Jesus really is this big as, as Hebrews has talked about, then it's like, well, how come I'm experiencing something that seems to call that into question? So notice one more thing that this benediction includes, something really important that we cannot miss before we end. These phrases highlighted equip you with everything good that you may. And this other phrase, working in us. It's not just about our own willpower or effort. It's about God's. So when we see commands to love or show hospitality, honor marriage, be free from the love of money, not be led astray, not neglecting to do good, sharing what we have, submitting to leaders, or whatever else there is, we know that God desires to set us up for success and set us up with strength. As I talk to, to, to some of you about this, um, about your life, what you're going through, and to tell you the truth as I reflect on my own life, uh, I realize it's easy to say that, that God is going to be the one who's going to work in us, that God is going to be the one to equip us with all we need. But it's another thing to believe it and actually experience it. So here's, here's something I want to suggest something that's been helping me and maybe some way you could test this benediction. Analyze your life and keep track how often this phrase holds up with this phrase. God was probably here. God was probably here. See if the benediction holds up by looking around and, and, and trying to point out, man, it seems like God was, God was probably here. God was probably here. Like we do this with other real people. Why don't we do it with God? So, so imagine, like, imagine you are a, uh, for you comic book lovers, imagine you're a, a cop in Gotham City, and you find a bunch of bank robbers with broken bones tied up outside uh, when you respond to some alarm at some facility. You, you, you'd show up and you'd go, 
Batman was probably here. Right? Okay, maybe maybe bring it into uh, out of the fictional world for a second. Think think of those in your family or maybe maybe your coworkers, people that you actually know. You don't always need to see them do something to know that they were there and that they did it, right? See, so you, you walk into your kitchen and you see, oh look, the dishwasher is running. Even though you yourself were supposed to clean up and start it hours ago, you might conclude mom was probably here, right? Or for me, I, I, I walk into my living room and I see breakfast cereal all over the couch, all over the floor, and I'm like, Zadok was probably here. He's, he's, my, he's my four-year-old who likes to enjoy dry cereal quite uh, explosively. But look, as you get to know people, you get to know what types of things are evidence for their presence and for their activity. And I, I can't wrap my mind around it all the time. It's challenging with God because sometimes, and I don't know if your life is like mine, sometimes it's not always obvious. Like something, you, you replay your life, you try to analyze like where, where could God have been? And, and it's like, well, something really bad happened. And I didn't see him back there. Or you look at your life right now and you're going, something really bad is happening. But I don't see him now. In fact, what I do see is pulling me in the direction of, of unbelief. And this is why I think we, we, we need to not wrestle with life in isolation of things like this benediction of Hebrews 13 and the realities connected to it. Like try blending this benediction into your life, into your experience and start asking, okay, where might God be in this? Based on what we know about him, based on what we know he wants for us, based on what this benediction is saying, are there things, are there events, are there coincidences, are there thoughts we've had, words others have spoken, maybe something we missed or dismissed at the time, but on second look, we, we could suggest that has got to be God at work. That's got to be God. God was in that. God was probably here. You can do this yourself, or you can do this with others, uh, someone else going through something. Blend in this benediction into life. Don't wrestle with life in isolation of the realities here. Look at look at your life. You know, like, pull out the tapes, watch the footage, analyze the archives, evaluate the environment, and ask, okay, where might God be in this? And try to see if someone, maybe you, maybe, maybe a trusted friend, maybe the Holy Spirit himself, can put a finger on it and go, God was probably here. God was probably here. God was probably here. He provided that. He gave strength for that. He equipped you with everything good you needed for that. He reminded you of an important truth there. He spoke to you in that. God was probably here. And look, I'm not, I'm not just trying to, to hype you up because, because I realize as I've had conversations with people, maybe off the top of your head as you listen to this right now, you cannot think of a single time that suggests God was probably here. So can I, can I ask you, what about this moment? Like right now, you're listening to specific words from Hebrews 13 on this specific day in your life. I didn't chase you down. I didn't make you. These words were inspired, we believe, by the Holy Spirit. These words were preserved for generations. These words were translated into the language that you speak and that you understand. These words are being used right now in some way, perhaps to, to tell you or remind you that God is a God of peace. 
Perhaps to tell you or remind you that in history, Jesus came back from the dead. Perhaps to tell you or remind you that Jesus is your great shepherd. Perhaps to tell you or remind you that by Jesus' blood, there is an eternal covenant available, an unchanging agreement of relationship that God has worked to save you and bring you to everlasting life. And if we were to have expanded that, that's the sure anchor for our soul, as Hebrews says. That's the unshakable kingdom that Hebrews talks about. Perhaps these words are to tell you or to remind you that God is able and wants to equip you with everything good in the situation you're in right now, where it's not easy to do his will, but to work in you to do that which is pleasing in his sight. Perhaps to free you to use these words as a guide for prayer for those you are concerned about who need to take these truths and to have these truths take hold in a real way in their lives. I think if you look at this moment right now, it is, it is safe to say God was probably here. And as the benediction ends, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen.